who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from, our, from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard work and mortar and brick, and all things in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them in the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and gave birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast them in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is God's word. Praise God. You may be seated. All right, family, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. If you need Bibles, you see Pastor Leon passing out Bibles. Uh, and if you need more, let us know. I want you guys to be looking at the scriptures and hopefully you'll be encouraged. We're very clear that if you need a, if you need a Bible, even at home to read, let us know. We'd love to give you one. We want you to be equipped well. Um, we're going to jump right in and get to work. Uh, as you guys know, we are studying the book of Exodus right now. I have a couple hands over here, Pastor. And um, we are right now uh, still in chapter one. We just had a little intro last week, and so now we're jumping right in. I want to encourage you to be reading ahead and getting comfortable with the, the narrative that's before us as we are diving into Exodus. And as you know, we do books of the Bible in the local community. And so um, if you have just come to visit, uh, you don't have much to do to catch up. So that's cool. You can just go online and check out the sermon. That'd be great. Um, let me go ahead and pray for us, pray for God to just allow uh, a spirit of anticipation in this room of, man, we enter into the holies and, and, and enter into God's word. We want to be excited and, and passionate. Um, just want to encourage uh, that that's just something we can't manipulate. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to allow us all to, uh, to see the joy and being able to understand and hear more from Jesus. And so hopefully we'll jump right in with that framework. I just will never forget when I was uh, studying Hebrew in seminary and how my professor just convicted me. I think I told you the story before. And he was just saying he got mad at us as a, as a, as a professor. And I was like, what's the problem, brother? And he was like, well, man, I, I also teach at Harvard, you know, and I do rapid reading courses. And, and uh, here I am teaching these unbelievers, you know, um, Hebrew. And, and, and they're, just, they're, they're just, man, they want to know the history and, and everything behind it because they just saw it as a, as a, as a historical book, you know, and, and they're just asking all these questions. They're doing their homework and they're all passionate. And he's like, and I'm, I'm here in a seminary where we see this as the word of God, right. right? We see this as the holy, that the holy God has revealed himself to us and has given us a love note. And he's like, I've been watching some of you guys, you haven't done your work and you're kind of, kind of sitting back like you already got this thing figured out. And he's like, I'm just tripping. I mean, he's like, the unbelievers are like running, they're basically doing laps and it really convicted my heart. Like, Lord, like, it was really more of like, what's, what's my responsibility when I come into, the, into God's house and God's presence and the opportunity to learn about Jesus? My responsibility is for God to give me the grace to renew my mind to be passionate. So that's just a, a, hopefully a, a, a graceful exhortation that I want us to just be like, man, I'm about to read the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And not like, all right, we read the Bible this part. We did our three songs, now I do read the Bible. You know? So um, 
Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, that's um, talking to myself. We just need your grace. We need you to give us perspective that we are before the Holy One. And uh, it's that perspective that, uh, that Moses had when he had to hide in the, the cleft of the rock. And how you said, well, you, 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 I'm too powerful for you to even look at me, but I show you my back. And uh, I just pray that we would have a passion. And I know there's all kinds of journeys and stories in this room, including my own, where things can get heavy. And Lord, I just pray that you give us the grace to cast those burdens to you, the God who cares for us, and to have a passion to want to know what you have to say about your world and us in it. So would you do that, Lord? Would you give us attention and a great attention span? Thank you for the weather so it's not burning up in here. Um, be exalted, Christ. And Lord, by your grace, would you speak through me, your servant, and uh, give me wisdom to interpret accurately and lead your people in truth and not in my own uh, baggage and issues, Lord. I just pray that there would be some purity um, because it will be spirit-led. Uh, so would you give us that grace to hear from you, Jesus, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, and one last thing is that, you know, if you have questions where things are just kind of shady off or something, you ask, ask your question if it encourages the body. If I can answer it, I would love to. If I can't, hopefully I'll, get some, I'll do some digging and research and try to answer it on our own time or maybe come back to the body and publicly answer the question, okay? But just want to free us up in that way. Uh, so let's jump right in. Uh, I want to start with uh, just talking about... Um, as we're starting in, in verse 8, um, there's an interesting component here that we've seen. We, we just came from the fact that uh, we've seen this whole genealogy. Uh, God begin to bless his people, showing that he want, he, he's keeping his promise in the sense of multiplying of these people. He told Abraham, I'm going to make your, your people like the nations and the sand. You won't, like the sand, you won't even be able to count them. And then we see that happen. And what God does, um, verses 1 through 7, it kind of gives you a brief snapshot of the tribes of Israel and saying, look at God keeping his promise. Right. And then we uh, realize something in that it's very interesting. Um, We enter into this part in verse eight, where it says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. All right. So we're about to see something kind of go down. But let me just give us a brief snapshot here of what was happening with Israel. Okay, now, remember, God in the beginning had told him already, hey, I'm going to make you a nation. Right. For my glory. Right. And uh, we, we now know, because we're not on this side of the New Testament, that God's heart is for us to be a people that make him known. But when you think about uh, the timeline, think about it. So, so the people of Israel uh, seemingly are going to die in the wilderness. Uh, but then Joseph, by God's grace, has put him, had, uh, put him second, in, second in command. And so basically, Joseph not only saves the known world at that point from dying of famine, but actually, as it were, what you realize is that most importantly, he saves the seed of Israel. And why is that important? Because if you don't save the seed of Israel, then God's a liar. But God's not a liar. So you know the seed of Israel are going to be saved, right? So he does that, grabs his family, brings them over in Egypt. They're not Egyptians. They're God's people, but they're in Egypt. And they get saved. But you know what happens, guys? It seems like, wouldn't you say, maybe, perhaps, when you think that, uh, Jacob uh, died in they say 1859 or around that time uh, BC. Then you have the death of Joseph. Do the math here in the, in the early 1800s, 1806 uh, BC. And then they stay in Egypt uh, during the you know 1800s down to the 1700s. They begin to multiply. So you're talking almost 200 years of the go to get saved, to get saved. But did they go to hang out? Was God calling them to go and hang out? I propose to you, no. I propose that God had them there and they got saved from the famine. But what's interesting is they end up staying there in the land that's not their own, right? Because God said, I was going to give you a land too. There's two promises. A lot of people, a lot of land. They weren't running things in Egypt, so they knew that wasn't their land. (laughs) Okay? But yet they stay for a couple centuries. Right? Keep that in your mind. I think that, mean, that, that, that matters. One other thing I want you to keep in your mind as we continue on in the text is it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now when we think about that, we go, oh, okay. Well, yeah, this king kind of didn't know who Joseph was, but it was actually bigger than that. I want to give you a little historical con- context. My kids are actually learning this right now. It's really cool to be reading this. And then for my wife to be like, oh, yeah, the, 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 the height sauce people? Right. Uh, so there was this group of individuals, uh, H.Y. 
uh, K-S-O-S. You can research them. Uh, you can say Hyksos or Hyksos people. Um, basically, uh, theologians would say the reason why this person did not know Joseph was because actually the kings before this king was actually the people of the Hyksos people, right? It was uh, basically uh, an Asiatic group of individuals who actually conquered. Well, and they didn't conquer in a sense when we think of like crazy beating them down and then like taking, getting rid of all their traditions. But they actually took over the Egyptian land around the Nile. Okay, so when you think of back in those times, in ancient times, people led out of dynasties. You had different kings over dynasties, okay? And so what happened, there was a few dynasties, a few hundred years, where a group of individuals who were not Egyptians, as it were, came and actually took over actually the area that was around and now in Egypt. And so, to, so that's very important because that lets us know a few things. When, when you think of that from a theological perspective, even practically, it now makes sense why it was easy, or I would say how the Lord worked it out for Joseph to be second in command as a Hebrew. You know why that's weird? Because why would a purebred, a purebred Egyptian allow the second in charge to be a Hebrew unless he didn't really care himself because he wasn't Egyptian? That makes sense? Okay, so, so basically what was happening is you had a people. Now, what was interesting about these individuals, which is kind of uncommon when you conquer a land, is usually you change the language, you change the culture, and you say, it's my people, it's going it's to work out like this. But they didn't do that. They actually celebrated the Egyptian culture. So they celebrated the language, they celebrated the culture, and I wonder if that's why they were able to last so long. But eventually, the purebred Egyptians were frustrated and were always trying to figure out a way to get their land and their people back. And so they finally was able to do that after a few hundred years. And we think we're pretty confident that that's what's happening here is that Egypt, the purebred Egypt finally gets the land back. And now it said, now they're looking at all the individuals who are not purebred Egyptians. And they're saying, we want to get rid of all of them. Why? Because the last group of people that we had here who weren't purebred Egyptians took over Egypt. You see that? So what you got here is you guys are going to see some genocide. We're going to see some racism, some bigotry. Right, we see people who are saying, okay, we got our land back, and now this guy is saying, like, I don't know Joseph. And as it were, that concept of not knowing, I would say, is not like I don't, I've never heard of him, but that this guy is not a purebred Egyptian, and we're not going to basically, he's not a descendant, don't want to know much about him, and I'm basically implementing now purebred aspects of Egyptian rule. With that said, I think that gives us a new understanding of the implication when he says that he did, it doesn't mean he did not know any prior engagement, but that he, he's a new king with a new dynasty. So now we go to chapter, verse 9. Did not know Joseph, which means they're in trouble. right? And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. And so what he does, this king goes in and says, hey, these people, I got to figure out a way to kind of build fear. This is all, you know, we've seen this in World War II. You build propaganda, right? You build fear in people and you get them to kind of come alongside your your desires. He wants to get rid of these guys. He builds fear that they're going to take over. He says they're too many and too mighty for us. And so he wanted to get the people to fear the other Egyptians so that they would kind of get on side and say, okay, yeah, what do you want us to do about that then, Pharaoh? Well, here's what you need to do. And as I'm going through the text, what I want to do is show some big picture things that are going on in the text. And then I want to land a plane and say, how do we, how do these individuals who Moses was talking to apply this and how do we apply it today? So then he says, verse 10, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. If war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So we see here clearly that he doesn't want them to grow. Okay, we see that clearly. And that he's, he's making it more of a threat. Why? Because he's making it an issue of, hey, if we don't get them out of here, they're going to join the Egyptians and they're going to start war. Right? And, and this is going to be like bad news for us. Now, one quick aspect that I want you to do, you can circle or underline. Uh, some of your versions might say leave the country. Some of your versions might say escape from the land. And, and here's one of those moments where, you know, as I'm, you know, in, in, the, in the beginning where we do a, do a little translation uh, it, it really matters like in a moment like this, because if I read that just reading it, I would think they, they, he was nervous that they would join these other group of people and then try to escape the land. But that doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, think about it. If you're joining, if you're joining someone for war, 
You're not joining war to leave. You're joining war to be at war. Okay? And when you, but when I, when I did some research, there's three other texts, uh, all actually in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 6. Exodus 1, 10, and Hosea um, 1, verse 11. Uh, this, this meaning always has a sense of overwhelming or dominating or a picture of like water overflowing over something. And so what he's really saying here is that he was saying, hey, guys, we don't want these people to get too big for us because what would actually happen is they would join this other group of individuals and basically eventually overtake us. And this was kind of an old school, Old Testament idiom that was used. And if we didn't know it was an idiom, we would just think it was regular English. So it was just kind of an idiom. This is the way they talk. This was their slang. Right. And that makes much sense to me. Of, oh, okay, yeah, so they would take over the land, then me perceiving that they would actually join someone to leave the land. So all that to say, guys, is that Pharaoh was trying to provide a warning that he didn't want to be taken from within, which the Israelites would be within, uh, and, and they would have more of an impact because they're already within the country. So he's, again, building, building his case, building the propaganda. And in verse 11, he says, therefore, I got you scared enough, you're ready to do whatever, Right? Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. So look what he does here. He does a few things. He first, so he's thinking, okay, what do I do with this people that we want to kind of get rid of? Well, first thing he does, if you notice, he reorders their position, right? He reorders their position in Egyptian society. Right? He takes them from an individual who had mad, they had mad connections with Joseph. They're like, they're doing well. The government loves them. He takes them from great citizens to slaves and workers. Okay? First thing he does. And then here, he wants to reduce their numbers. And now, if he's talking about reducing their numbers, he's not talking about just, uh, he's, he's talking about killing them. Right. But here's, what I, here's what's very interesting in this text, and I'll pause here because I want to do a lot of stuff at the end and come back. But I want to pause here because I just think it shows our depravity and how, how you and I, we really don't think we're as evil as we think we are. Right? We, don't, we don't really think we're evil. And, and here's what he's doing here. Look what he's doing. He's really saying, I want to get rid, I want to kind of minimize our numbers, so I'm going to do very hard work. What does that mean? He wants to do enough work where the work will kill them. Okay? But... Because we don't want to seem that mean, we don't say that, right? And actually, notice, notice how his intensity escalates as we continue on in the verses. So he's trying to kill them right now, but the way he's going to do it is through work, right? He wants them to, to work hard. And how does that affect these individuals? You think of it, I mean, it'll affect their families. The families are separated from long, so uh, it'll cut down time of them to being able to conceive. Uh, they can't nurture their kids if they're working all the time. Um, they can't actually do their own farming. I mean, you think about it, when you have slaves, basically uh, many of the slave masters then and, and even during our, our horrible history, they would let some of the slaves have little farms. But the trick was you couldn't farm it because you was already farming the master's farm. That makes sense? So it was like, well, what's your problem? I gave you a farm. But man, I get 20 minutes to work on it. And so here he is, here's Pharaoh thinking of, I will provide provisions and quarters and scenarios that will be so crazy that would allow you to struggle and eventually die. And, and again, in, 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 in slave systems, uh, you didn't tolerate sick people, right? And so, so basically the sick and ill and weak would eventually die. And the goal was for the strong to eventually become sick and ill and weak. So they eventually die. So this is, a, this is an issue of a small, small-time genocide is what we're starting to see here. It says in verse 12, but the more, okay, so you have reorder position, then you have reduced the numbers. But what's so interesting is it says the more they were oppressed, the more they multiply and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. You know that? I love this. Do you see that? Okay, so check this out. He, he makes it harder for them. He gives them horrible conditions. He tells them, I mean, this is, this is, they are being treated badly. People are dying. 
And the scriptures say that the more, now notice it, it didn't just say that, you know, their numbers were retained. Okay? It wasn't like there was 200,000 Israelites, and by God's grace, even though he worked them harder, it was still 200,000. The Bible's telling you and me, for us to see with faith eyes, that the more, the more they intensified their issues of evil toward the, toward the Israelites, the more they started having babies. You see that? It was like this. It was almost as if God was saying, if you want them to quit having more babies, quit messing with them. You understand? They were growing to the point where they, they, in essence, from the text here, they were growing with more intensity through the persecution than before. Why do you think the Bible wants to show you and me that? Why do you think Moses wants to tell the people of God that? See, this is a kind of framework here. This is the irony of the promise. The irony of the promise that he gave, right? The irony of the promise that blows me away is that actually God says, I'm going to bless you into a nation. I'm going to allow you, you're going to look and you're going to look at the sand. You're going to pick the sand up in your hand. And as it's falling through your hands, you can't even count one, one little piece, one little grain. That's going to be your people. But guess what? While that's happening, while I'm winning, because God's winning there, right? It says the people are being oppressed as slaves and they are being ruthlessly distreated horribly. Wait a minute. That's weird. And wait, God, the way God is blessing us, we're experiencing great pain and turmoil, and this is horrible for us. Do you see that? The opposite results of what's expected. In fact, I'm trying to show, and I think what Moses is trying to show us is that it's very difficult to kind of try to see your blessing from God and my blessing from God based on external circumstances. And that's the danger. The danger for you and me is to go around, and, and this is what we, we're trying to, in my own life, model, but also train, is you cannot say God is blessing me and then point to an external thing necessarily. You can't do that. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of churches in our community and around the world that will teach you that. That God is blessing you because this happened well. God is blessing you because this happens well. And then we go around and we live in that mindset of witchcraft. Right? That God is doing something good for you when good is happening to you. But the Bible is teaching you something totally different from the jump. Right? The Bible saying that's not how God works. Maybe sometimes. This was hard. Because it would also be un- unbiblical and I'd be unfaithful as one of your leaders saying that God doesn't sometimes externally bless you. He does both. What I'm saying is you don't know which one he's doing. That's what I'm saying. And you don't know. You can't just say because you got a car it was from the Lord. It could be from Satan. Because guess what? Satan many times, this is a spiritual endeavor. By the way, all these little, meta, these little narratives you're going to see in here, these are huge narratives. There's a, there's a bigger narrative in the midst of this, this meta narrative. And I wanted to let us know, like, we got to see bigger. Because Satan will literally keep you down by blessing you. So we don't want to hear that stuff. That's part of God's training to sanctify the people of God. That you're thinking, oh, I'm being blessed. And God is, and, and then here's Satan keeping you comfortable. By the way, I'm proposing that even in their 200 years of hanging out in Egypt, I'm proposing that a lot of that time God was kind of going, what's going on? And I want to propose just like we saw in Acts where he had to provide the persecution in order to have the diaspora for people to go out and actually do what they're supposed to do. I'm proposing that here we're seeing it before we see it in Acts. I want to propose to you that the reason why the people of God were persecuted in Egypt is because they never left. He said, he said, guess what? I got bigger plans for y'all. Y'all want to sit here and think, oh, this is God is blessing us. We got food. We got houses. We got gold. We bling in. We do. Look at this. We were never blinging over there. Look at it. This is beautiful. And God's going, that's not the point. I brought you out to be a strong people so that I can equip you for the people to see that you're loving and honoring and serving me. And they go, who's your God? You go, my God is Yahweh. And people come to Christ and that was supposed to be the goal, but they got really comfortable. And God said, oh, let's see what it looks like for you not to be comfortable and to have to trust me again. So look what happens here. Just for the sake. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. There's tension, but in the sense of God's sovereignty. 
is I want to say in God's sovereignty, he said all those things. But the whole point here, I want to say he was not excited that they just hung out because the reason why they leave, and we'll see that even as it talks in the New Testament, that God wanted his people to be a light to the nations, and they were kind of just simply hanging out here. And so I'm going to propose to you that although God shared that coming in from a prophetic standpoint, that's God and his sovereignty who sees all things. But God wasn't sitting here going, because he said, I'm going to bless you for 400 years, right? But what is blessing? For 200 of those years, they were being murdered and killed, right? And so the blessing is the increase, two things, the increase of the people and the giving of the land. Those are the two blessings, Right. And so he does that in, within that time. He increases the people. So he's continually doing that. But he's also trying to give them the land. And the question on the table is, would he have been able to give them the land if they were to continue to be comfortable here? I want to propose, based on what we see practically here, based on what we're going to see throughout Exodus, and also what we've even seen as we study Acts, I think it's very clear. I think it's very clear that the answer is probably no. And that, the, and, that the, and that what we see continually a theme in the scripture is that persecution is actually a seed of the church. Is that it allows actually the fruit of what's supposed to happen happens in the local body. So I want to absolutely agree with you that that is one of the prophecies that God is using in his sovereignty. Of saying, as I look at everything, here's what was going on. Right? Because he even says that, right? I mean, he talks about the, the things that happened with Joseph as he's looking out and talking about it in a big picture standpoint. But there's a lot of things that happen within all these different narratives that are totally not from the Lord. But God uses all things together for the good. So I think you're right. You're absolutely right in the sense that God does say that. But I think when we talk about what, he's, what the framework is, I don't think he's saying that he was pleased with the fact that basically there was no absolutely... No understanding of who Yahweh was. There was no understanding of what it meant to be the people of God. I mean, in fact, they're all learning that right now. And it's been hundreds of years. They've, they've, they've almost kind of been like, uh, like, like there's no mention. In fact, the only time Yahweh even talks about himself is when he talks about the first time since in, in the first five chapters is with the two midwives who actually are faithful to God. I'm saying that to say, I think there's something where there's kind of a disconnect where the people of God have kind of forgotten a little bit what it means to be the people of God. And, that, and I also think that's one of the reasons why Moses is going to have a hard time when he takes them out, which historically, he doesn't take all the people of God out. Many of them didn't actually follow. So to affirm you, Big Sam, you're exactly right. I want to make sure I affirm that. But I think it was from the framework of a bigger picture that God was saying that. And it's kind of like God, God speaks... With the whole story, we speak with verses kind of deal. And, I'm, and I actually have here the irony of the promise and the irony of God's ways. That God is win, winning here. And, and I'm just trying to ima- imagine you saying to him, just to your point, imagine you saying to the people of God, don't, don't mind the extreme work because gr- we're growing numerically. I think they'll be like, this is not blessing. I don't like this. My, 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 my wife got raped. My, these people are dying. Uh, my, I don't like this. I want to propose that the irony of God's way is that he is winning in the midst of what seems to look like things are just crazy. So, so I want to say God does external things in our life and sometimes they're blessings. Okay? Sometimes he does things that look externally like blessings and are absolutely not from the Lord. Right. And so, right. And so, it, so I, I can't determine which one those are. And I'm praying for myself and for you that you don't live your life going by what you see happening. But that's one marker. But there's a lot of other markers. You know, we just we just came from Arizona. and We were talking to our uh, my cousin because, you know, they're, they're making some really big decisions right now. And the theme I kept asking, I'd ask, like, so here's a decision you're making. Hey, have you guys you had anybody sharing, talking to you about that? No. Then there's another, there's three big decisions and all the decisions, they hadn't talked to any like older people in the Lord, people that they respected who were, and I just thought, man, like that doesn't seem the Bible prescription to me. Like you, wise man has many wise counselors. So one way is finding godly people who love the word, who love Jesus and, and being in community with people seems to be huge in addition to your external circumstance, right? Being, building a prayer life. I'm amazed at how many people love to make huge, awesome decisions when they're not reading the Bible and they're not walking with Jesus. Christians, right? When we're having those times where they're kind of dry, all of a sudden God wants you to make all kinds of decisions. I'm sorry, uh, Satan does, right? 
And I want to propose, man, spend time in the word, spend time in prayer, spend time in community, talking about the issues and processing, spend time acknowledging your depravity and that you, your, your normal reaction is to conserve and to protect. Be honest about your journey. And then we make decisions. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, and made, and made, so, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Right? So Moses obviously wants us to see. I mean, he says it. How do I do this? Remember last, remember um, it was verse 7 last week. We saw them give those. It was like five ways he talked about them increasing. Remember that? Well, look here. Look how many ways. Made their lives bitter, hard service, verse 14, mortar and brick and all kinds of work, right? And at work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You think Moses is trying to make a point here? His point here is that, man, they, they're, they're, these people were in bondage and they needed, they needed a rescuer. He wants you to, he wants that, that those Hebrews to be reading this and going like, so then what happened? Did something, what happened? Somebody come save them? Right? So you look at all that, you see why they were dying. They couldn't procreate. They're too tired. You would think, you would think with human eyes that, man, this, this is going to be bad for them. But the Bible says that they kept increasing in number. They kept increasing, even more so. Verse 15, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, you shall, she shall live. Now notice what he does here. We get to part two. So we said we're going to see it intensify. So first, we're going to kind of make them work hard. Right, we're going to put a lot of, um, first we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to reorder their position, make them slaves. Then we're going to work them really hard. Hopefully that will help with the, uh, with the issue of killing them. But then he gets kind of more frustrated because that's not working. Right? He, that was his best shot at that point. It's still not working. So what does he do? He now wants to passively, um, not, actually not as passive, but now he's requiring the Israelites to kill the offspring. You see this? You see, but, you, but you see this? He was trying to kill them in the beginning. But that's how we are, right? If we're all honest, we, we try to make ourselves not feel as evil as we are. So he thought, well, first we'll just kind of work, work them hard and kill them. And that wasn't working. He's like, man, I just got to take the cloak off a little more. How about Israelites? You guys kill all the offspring, right? So to the point now, he's requiring the Israelites to kill the offspring. And this is, this is intense. This is bad. Um, but I want to pause here because I want to give some love to uh, these, these midwives. It's so cool that he mentions these midwives. And it says in verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And the fear of God here, guys, in a sense, is not like being scared of God. In a sense, uh, it, it kind of has a connotation uh, to be honest. Uh, to be faithful, uh, most importantly, I think I'll say here, uh, uh, to be trustworthy and above all, kind of religious. That's kind of the Old Testament connotation. Uh, I meant kind of being afraid, as it were, of the consequence of not fearing God. Okay, so it's kind of, so don't, don't, yeah, don't paint a picture like it's bad. We, we hear the word fear, I should never fear God. Well, actually you should, because bad things happen to people when they mess with God, right? So there's a whole point. And, and think of the fact here of, of what God did. It says, uh, verse, verse 18, So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. This is a powerful point here because you think about it. Not only are they disobeying the Pharaoh, uh, but, I mean, this gets you death. Okay, they, they could have died. They should have died. I mean, the Pharaoh, these guys are way more graphic than us now, and we're pretty graphic. We're pretty, we're pretty intense with the things we can do and the things we can, how we can create uh, death in people. And they, they, for some reason, by God's grace, felt like it was better to fear God than to fear Pharaoh. Which, by the way, is just my little plug again, that even, even back then, these guys had an understanding at some level about life after death. And that, and that God was the creator of all things. Because Pharaoh, if it was just about death, then they'd be like, well, Pharaoh's going to kill me too. But they must have, they felt like Pharaoh can kill me, but God could do more. Uh, that's, just an impl- that's just an implication of the text there, that they have some sense that, man, there's something that happens after we die, you know. 
And so it says, um, verse 19, so uh, the midwife said to Pharaoh, I love this, so he's being defied, uh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So they give this, I mean, I'm thinking about this, it took, it took a little time, so they had like a year or so, if not more, to think of their answer, which is cool. Because you know, I mean, you know they're doing this, and they're like, one day real soon, we're going to have to be standing before Pharaoh, and he's going to be like, why should I not... You know, rip a couple of your heads off right now. All right, so they're like, hey, babe, how are we going to say? And they're thinking through it. All right, and they come up with this answer. And I don't know, I don't think they lied. I, I wonder, and this is me, and this is not in the text at all, uh, but I wonder if they, they told uh, the women who were pregnant, hey, please call me after you have the baby. <laughs> right? I wonder if they're like, and then I'll hook you up, I'll help you out. Because if we come before, then we're going to have the mandate to have to probably kill the baby. So that's just, my, that's just me. Uh, again, that's, um, I don't want to put biblical precedence on there. But, but for some reason, God doesn't make it sound like they're liars and kind of things of that sort. But it sounds like they did something very honorable for the Lord. And it says in the scriptures here, uh, So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Now notice that. So a couple of things happened here. So you got the people of Israel um, in persecution right now, uh, which is providing, I I propose again, the impetus for the exodus. Okay? So it's it's, it's basically the starting of why the people need to leave. And then you have God kind of inserting this reality of of how God is always in control. Because now you have these midwives that say, we're going to kill all the babies. And these midwives come and they... Are being faithful to God, knowing that they could be they could be killed, and even Pharaoh says, "Why did you tell me why you did this? Because I'm I'm going to kill both of you." And what's amazing, you see the sovereignty of God here. He does not kill them. And I'm proposing it says, and here's an external reality again, where we see it, right? Because you can't have this be doctrine. God sees this. God protects the women because they didn't die, which was a normal deal for you to um, defy Pharaoh because Pharaoh felt he was God. Okay. And not only did they not die, but we know from history that midwives many times would take care of other women's kids because they couldn't have their own. Okay? And so because the long hours it took uh, for midwives to be with the women and all these kind of things. And so the scriptures say that actually God blessed them, right? I want to say he blessed them in a couple of ways. First, he puts their name in the scriptures. All right? That's a cool deal. All right? Y'all know y'all wish your name was in the Bible. But, right? but the thing... But it's cool because you think about it, look at, look at, how, look at how, the author, how the author does it. Notice you don't know Pharaoh's name. Notice you know their name. And, and, and I want to propose the author was trying to show you something there. That in all of his power, he really doesn't matter. Yeah, Robin. You know what? We're going to see, I don't, we say changes her. I would say he protected them and did whatever he needed to do in Pharaoh for him not to commit the murder. But we know that he's still evil, and we're going to see that in a moment. Yeah, but uh, at that point, he, he, God did his thing to say, and, it, and that's what I love too, because you see how morbid he is as we go through the text. So it's not like he's some cool dude. He kills people. He's killing babies. But yet he doesn't kill these two guys who defied him. Looked dead in the eye and said, yep, I'm not going to do what you told me. And then God protects them, and then gives them a family, and then puts their name in the scriptures. Love that. I just love that beautiful. Now, I just love God blesses his people. But notice, we don't go taking this text and going, see, God did something external. Blessings are external. See, when God does something, you get something for it. You do this, God gives you this. It's not like that in the kingdom. That might happen sometimes, sometimes it might not. And, and, and our goal is to have a robust theology where we're trusting what God says so that when it happens sometimes and it doesn't happen sometimes, we're not rocked by either. Because we're not standing on, did, did God pay me back as if he owes you something? Right? So, so the scriptures say here, God dealt well with them. That's verse 20. Look what happens here. They have families now, which is really cool. And then in verse 22, uh, we get to see the, 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 the morbid, the, the depravity just kind of at its zenith. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people. So he looks at them, totally de- they defied him. He said, okay, now I'm going to get crazy. 
at first, I just wanted to just decrease their position, make them work harder. Oh, okay, how about the Israelites kill the babies? We got to get rid of these guys. They're still growing. You notice it says there, right, in verse 20, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Okay? So that's what's happening. This was, so now it says, verse 22, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. You see what happens here? He changes. He gets even crazier. He says, at first I tried to keep, you know, my, my, my Egyptian brothers and sisters out of it. You know, we all just hang off, you know, and we'll just have the Israelites kill each other. And now he's so frustrated, he's basically saying, now he's talking to his own people. Hey, guys, all the Egyptians are expected to, to join in killing all the Israelite boys. Do you, see that? Do you see how the escalation happened? Do you see how messed up we are? And how he, it's just interesting to me that he, he could have just said from the beginning, look, everybody kill all the boys. But, you know, sometimes you want to do it nice and make yourself feel better. You know? And, and I've seen it in my own heart. I'll have evil in my heart, and I'll try to cloak it. And then it just takes a couple scenarios for God to expose, no, here's what you was really thinking. So, so now you have the Pharaoh's totally exposed here. And he's like, hey, throw him into the Nile, which obviously makes sense. You know, it's convenient. Uh, basically, he's talking about full-blown genocide right here. We've seen it in the Bible right here, right? And... Kill these guys. You kill all the men. Eventually, the people group will dissipate. These guys lived on the bank, so you throw them in the water. You know, the Nile was used as a source of water for the people, but also was used as a sewer. So it was kind of clean, sadly, that you could do that. Throw the baby and kind of be like out of sight, out of mind. And so this is what they were thinking. And then, there, and then also, this is how jacked up it is. In history, it says that they thought that the Nile was a god, too, okay? And so they saw it as if, if you throw it in the river and the baby died, it's not that you killed the baby because the, the, the river god could have said, hey, we're going to save this baby. And so basically, you throw it in the river and the Nile kills the baby. And it's kind of like the Nile, hey, the Nile spoke, you know? The Nile took the baby. How crazy we are to kind of absolve ourselves from our evil. So that's where we are here. Let me ask you a question. Here's a, here's a few applications. When you look at that text here, first and foremost, verse 8 and 9 shows us have a biblical perspective of comfort filling in the gospel. We've talked about that already. Just to see the issue of comfort. It's at the end of the day, these guys are hanging out. Uh, there's, no, there's no discussion about they're feeling anxious or feeling like, Lord, like, what are we doing now? There's, there's, it's like there's nothing really going on with the people of God until... Persecution breaks out. And so I just had to ask myself, like, again, I've already asked, what would would happen if persecution hadn't existed? Uh, What did persecution do? I would propose it inaugurated the exodus. I would propose that that by the people people being evil, actually inaugurated them wanting and, and needing a rescuer. Right? And again, I want to implore us, allow comfort to not, or discomfort to not be your compass. So many of us will struggle with comfort. We want comfort to be our compass. Like, and so we really are like, Lord, I want to be about your business, but I really want to be comfortable. And then some of us have some really weird theology where we think the worse I'm feeling, the better I'm serving Jesus. Right? And, we, and both of those are just skewed. They both, they both have an absence of God's grace. Right? Where if you're blessed, it's because of God's grace, not because of what you did. Right? And, and then both are thinking that. Asceticism, but also worship of self, where you're kind of doing your own thing. How do I get my stuff? And my prayer for all of us is that we would have a healthy understanding of God's grace and be able to move and live freely in his world and exalt him in his world. So my prayer, and I'm asking all of you to consider, where, where do you land? Are you one of those discomfort individuals where you always got to find out the craziest thing to do and you, you really think, now I'm really being a good Christian? Right? Now, you can, now I want us to be radical and I want us to go to places where no one's going and we need to be doing what no one's doing because God wants us to have a mic in those areas. You hear me, fam? But I don't want us thinking, therefore... Here, look who I am. Therefore, I'm okay. Or therefore, God bless me. Or therefore, dot, dot, dot. Versus, by God's grace, I'm just being obedient by his grace. Are you a comfort person? Are you finding yourself in your, in, in, man, how, how do I protect mine and get mine? And 
Uh, and the, I, basically, do you walk around and you're really a narcissistic individual, right? Where you really care about yourself and you're not finding yourself giving and adding value to a community. My prayer is that you would go to the word and you would see what kingdom means and what does it mean to be about God's kingdom and you would obey. Look, uh, the other is, again, I already said it, we are more evil uh, than we think. I'm, I'm blown away um, from verses 10 through 22 at how you have Pharaoh uh, just being willing to kind of increase the level of evil to the point of the whole time he's trying to murder these guys. He gets to the point where he's asking even his fellow brothers and sisters, let's kill off the Israelite boys. My prayer is for us to not be fooled and thinking we're not as deprived as we are and that we need God's grace in our life. And then look at this. God's promise is for everything. Here's his promise for everything to work together for his glory and our good. But he is not committed to feeding our flesh and providing comfort. Right. And so when we say our good, I just think it's so interesting that the, the, the Israelites good at that point was to be enslaved. Was to be enslaved and, and being murdered and being treated harshly and horribly. Because that was allowing God to win. Because in the midst of all that, the people of God was still increasing. That in, in, in all actuality, I want to propose they were operating fully in God's plan. And God was pleased with what was going on during that time. Right. And I'm, just, I'm really sad, guys, how much confusion and sadness we, we could be spared um, if we saw that our sufferings are not the opposite of God's blessing. I just think, what would happen if we as a people did not think those were basically in tension with each other? But that actually right in the midst of suffering, sometimes you're right where God wants you. And he is blessing you in the fullness of capacity at that moment when you are in total despair. How many of us really believe that? Yeah. Another one. You will always be blessed when choosing God. I, I just love, uh, you know, we get the clear picture of these beautiful women who God blesses and says, I'm going to put you in the word. I'm going to give you children. You know, I'm going to allow you to be the, the head of these midwives and do your thing. I'm going to make sure you, you stay alive. Guess what? Uh, we see that blessing, but guess what? He could have he used the same, I, I could say the same thing. You will always be blessed when choosing God. And the story could have been, oh man, Pua and Shupra, they, they shared, they were, they were, they were encouraged, they were, they were courageous, and they said no. And then a pharaoh cut both of their heads off. Right? I could have I still said, you will always be blessed when choosing God. Right? That's still, that's a blessing. Right? And so it's not the external thing. It's not the blessing necessarily. We get to see, we get to see it in like in human form. Wow, got some kids and that's cool and you're in the word. But you could never been in the word, not had kids and still been a blessing. I pray for us to have gospel discerning, uh, discernment when it comes to that. And then finally, um, if not even as important or more, is in this text here, the, pe- the Hebrews are looking and they're, they're walking through the wilderness and I think they're always being encouraged that God always gets the last say. Oh, saints, I hope we're encouraged by that. God always gets the last say, right? The evil, now here's what's hard. Evil is ultimately futile. For all of us who are playing in evil games right now, it's, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't win. It doesn't satisfy. Eventually, you will come up short. Only, only, only in Christ will you win. Evil will never defeat God. That is, is awesome when I'm walking with Jesus. It's a scary thing when I know I'm being disobedient to Christ. When there's a sin pattern in my life and I know I'm trusting this. And I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. My prayer is for everyone in this room to take, to humbly, take an inventory check of your life. Humbly look at your life. And if you have addictions, or you're treating people ungodly, or you're cheating, 
Think of whatever it is. I just want to encourage you. It won't win. It won't satisfy. It will eventually be empty. And what the Bible wants to make very clear to all of us is only God wins. You see a man who tried everything to thwart God's plan. And the very things he did made his plan increase exponentially. That's the God I serve. That's the kind of God you serve. So see that, when we want to do evil, that should encourage us. No, in Christ I win. Lord, give me that strength to continue to be faithful. Give me that strength to continue to be obedient, right? That's my prayer for our body. In that, just remember, when you're having your daily struggle, when you look at the scenario, the daily struggle of sin and sorrow, right? Whether it's like people being like quietly prejudiced or some issues in your life or if it's this open hostility where people are dogging you, we all got all kinds of stuff going on, right, y'all? I want you to know, be encouraged. When we look at this passage, all it was really trying to remind you of me is that all these little stories of drama are just local skirmishes of a bigger cosmic battle. You hear me there? What we're seeing here is God is trying to show, oh, you, you, that little old skirmish with the baby, that, that's because that's there's a bigger plan here. So when, you, when, when people are dogging you and you don't have money for your heat bill, that's an issue. But there's a bigger, there's a bigger issue. Right? When you've got a friend who didn't call you back and you're mad now, think of all the things that we can find ourselves just giving our time and our energy to. And God is going, have perspective. I'm doing a bigger thing, and I'm proposing a bigger thing was him preparing his people for that second promise. And if they got caught up, which many of them were, into, well, I want to be here, which, by the way, to my point again, Sammy, so throughout, what's the continual thing you hear throughout the time of trying to get out? Why you take us out of here? I want to go back. I want to go back. That was nice. Right? And so I want to encourage us. There's a bigger picture. Saints, be encouraged. Um, let's do our tithing offering. Let's talk about this in Matt groups. And let's be a people.